May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Is there anything more perfect than a procrastinator? You know these delightful people who live by the old adage, why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? They come in all shapes and sizes. There are all sorts of them. I mean, they're um, all walks of life, sons and daughters, husbands and wives, bosses and employees, counselors and clergymen. You find them in virtually every walk of life. And, and if you happen to perhaps be of that other sort, um, you know, those people that I derisively like to call precrastinators, um, then maybe, you know, just give us some time. We'll grow on you. If not today, maybe tomorrow. Or the next day, sooner or later, it'll happen. My grandmother used to say to me, she would say, Joey, the early bird gets the worm. She would always say, this is her thing, the early bird gets the worm. She was up, you know, way before the sun and always energetic about these sort of, the early bird. One day I, I, I whipped out grandma's old dictum on one of my sons. I said, hey, the early bird gets the worm. And he looked at me and he says, yeah, but the second mouse gets the cheese. Yeah. <laughs> It takes a minute. You'll get there. Yeah, right. But, you know, it, it turns out that science has caught up with perfection. And, um, and the realization that procrastinators really do have things together, that they're, they're not so nonsensical after all. A study at the Pennsylvania State University um, went to look at the relationship between decision-making and physical exertion. And they uncovered some interesting and, I dare say, asinine um, trait in you early birds out there, okay? It goes like this. The researchers took um, and asked these participants to walk down an alley. And as they walked down the alley to carry a bucket from one end to the other. Now, there were buckets set up way at the beginning of the alley, some in the middle, and some way at the end. The hypothesis was that people would walk into the alley, walk down the alley, and wait till they got to the very last bucket, picked up the bucket, and carried across the line. But that's not what happened. In fact, just the opposite. Nearly all the participants who walked into the alley picked up the first bucket and carried it the entire length of the alley and then put it down. The researchers were baffled. Why would they do this when they weren't required to do it? And so they thought, well, we'll make it more difficult. We'll add levels of difficulty. And they did. Added several layers of difficulty until eventually they filled the beach buckets with pennies. <laughs> sure that somebody wouldn't carry this heavy bucket from one end to the other when they could just wait and pick up the very last one and carry it across. They were wrong. The people, almost all the participants, again, carried even the heaviest buckets the entire length of the alley. They surmised that the counterintuitive behavior was a result that the people are wired to endure physical pain rather than mental anguish. To remember that they had to pick up the bucket at the end was more than they could bear. So they would rather like have the physical exertion of carrying it the entire way rather than try to remember to do this important task that is to carry the bucket across. I surmise that my grandmother's influence was far more widespread than I had imagined. Indeed, people are at work all over the place. And they said that a modern manifestation of this same phenomenon comes out in technology. People with smartphones who constantly check their email and, te and text messages have to answer it immediately rather than put it off to later. Took me a long way to get around this barn, but proof positive that we procrastinators are mentally tougher than all you early birds. That's what this is all about, right? That we are stronger and we get the cheese. You know, that we're the second ones. We show up. 
But many times, you know it, the early bird really does get the worm, right? The, the one that is industrious gets the sale. The, the, the hardworking one meets the deadline. The student who applies early gets into the school. And it's the thing that drives us. I mean, there are, after all, only so many worms out there and many birds vying for those same worms. And so we have to work harder and smarter and, above all, earlier. We have to get there and get to work. It is said of Thomas Edison, you know, sometimes we even do things we don't need to do, that he tried 10,000 times before he created the light bulb. And when it was finally at a working light bulb, somebody asked him, is it true that you failed 10,000 times before you successfully invented a light bulb? He said, no, I did not fail 10,000 times. I simply found 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. This is what we do, right? We'll go rush right in. We'll be work hard. We'll, we'll, we'll try it even if it doesn't work. We'll just get something going. Sometimes, though, the early bird shows up and they wait. And they wait and they wait and they wait. And you know what happens? That procrastinator bird shows up. He slept in. He looks well rested. He's all ready to get, and, and he shows up and he's very smug, isn't he? Oh, so the worms haven't been there yet, right? And, and you hate that, don't you? You know you do. I, I mean, this is the way it goes if you're an early bird. And if you are, well, then you can just take it up with my grandmother later. In the book of Acts, Luke has his second volume on what's going on in the life of, of Jesus and his disciples. You know, the first volume is the Gospel of St. Luke, where he talks about all that Jesus kind of began to do as a, a, a biography of sorts of, of the life of Jesus. But in the second volume, the book of Acts, he, it's really the, the, the chronicles of the church, the life of the early church, especially as it launched out in mission to the world. They had a very specific job to do. They were to go, Jesus told them, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. It's a huge job. I mean, it's a massive undertaking. There are a small group of people, maybe 120, 150 people. They're a small group, and they are to take the witness of Jesus, the, the, the message of the resurrection of Jesus to the very ends of the earth. And I can imagine that somebody is like the rabbit in Alice's Wonderland, right? <laughs> you know, hurry up. How does he say it? He said, there's no time to lose, there's no time to wait. We're late, we're late, we're late, right? Get, get going. We've got to get out there. We've got a big job to do. We've got a, a massive mission to undertake. We are a small group. We had better work hard. We better work smart. And by jingles, we better get started early. There's a lot to do. I tried to imagine if, um, if some of us might be in charge of that early church. You know, if, if we had been, you know, among those early group of apostles, what things might have happened. And I kind of know what they would have been like. Somebody would have drawn up charts, right? Organizational chart. We've got to know who's in charge and, and who's got a, what responsibility. You know, people would have been given tasks. Boisel, you're in charge of snacks. Wait, no, you're not. You're going to eat all the snacks. You're not in charge of snacks. You're going to clean the bathroom. Somebody else is in charge of snacks, right? And, and you, we, we had to put people to work. Get going. We've, we've got things to do. But Jesus did leave one important instruction. Wait. It's not in your lesson today. It comes in chapter 1. Wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, then you will be my witnesses, but not until. And so for ten days, they waited. 
From the ascension until the day of Pentecost, they waited. Apparently no charts were drawn up. Nobody was assigned tasks. Perhaps the snack guy, he was perhaps given tasks. You know, get something to eat, right? We have ten days. We're going to wait a while. But nobody else is doing things. They're not busy about going about the work. They're not doing anything. They're waiting. And you heard from Luke, didn't you? He says, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. The sight and the sound phenomena are there, right? Like a mighty rushing wind. And as tongues of fire, there's a sense of of this powerful presence of God. I don't think that Luke really means that the wind really rushed through the building. Or that they really saw things. Because he, he clearly says, like a mighty rushing wind, as tongues of fire. It's a sense in which the powerful presence of God is there. There's no mistaking that this is God showing up on the scene. This is what they had waited for. And then suddenly they're filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you heard it. They begin speaking in other languages. Again, a, an important point, speaking in other languages, is it the sign of the Holy Spirit? It's a sign of the Holy Spirit showing up. And it has a particular purpose here. There are people from all over the world gathered in Jerusalem. And did you notice, they each heard them speaking in their own language. The Holy Spirit comes to empower these men and women to do the very thing that Jesus had asked them to do, to be His witnesses to the very ends of the earth. Ironically, the ends of the earth have now come to Jerusalem. This is where it begins. This is the inauguration of the church. And the mission begins, but not before the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the one indispensable necessity. No Holy Spirit, no mission. No Holy Spirit, no church. We are waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in the beginning of this passage, He indeed does come. In some ways, this is sort of an unrepeatable event, isn't it? It's like the signing of the Declaration of Independence. You can only sign one Declaration of Independence. There can only be really be one, right? And after that, you'd have to declare new independence um, or so on. But it's a one unrepeatable event. The signing of the, the inauguration of the church in this case. But in other ways, it's something that has to be appropriated by every single generation after that, Right? I have a friend who has a um, has a brunch party on the 4th of July. And we all gather together on the deck and we eat breakfast foods and have stuff and uh, you know we hang out on the on the on the deck and it's a good time and, and somebody brings a copy of the Declaration of Independence and we rail against old King George. We remember afresh every year, you know, uh, the abuses of the past. And we delight in those words of Thomas Jefferson that all men are created or endowed by their Creator, rather, with certain inalienable rights, including the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Yes, that's who we are, we say. Every, every July 4th holiday around Eggs Benedict and Mimosas and whatever else is out there, yes, this is who we are. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Not under the tyranny of England or any other despot ruler. We are free. And we celebrate it. Today, the day of Pentecost, 
is our declaration of independence. It's our inauguration as Christians that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit and we need the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we are just an organization. He is the one indispensable necessity that separates us from all other organizations. So as I said, I think Luke's analogies to the natural phenomenon are his pointing out the thing that we needed as a church was the presence of God to empower us to into mission. Um, I heard a, uh, a, a preacher one time derisively ask a question. He said, if, if God ever died, how long would it take for the church to discover it? <laughs> I think the answer is a very long time, Right? Because we know how to run this thing. we got this organization all down. We, we have our charts. I'll show them to you. We have bylaws. We've got, we've got all sorts. We, we, we know how to put people into place. Get to work. You, you're in charge of snacks. You get the restrooms. You're, we know how to do this thing. We know how to work hard. We know how to get up early and get started. We know how to empower ourselves and, and become the early birds who get the worm. But there is one indispensable necessity. The Holy Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit, we have no church. We might have a great organization. There are a lot of fantastic organizations. But we need the Holy Spirit. He is the source of our power. And not just once. Not just one time. Oh yeah, I was baptized. Oh yeah, I was confirmed. Fantastic. Oh, you need that. We need that. But over and over again, read through the book of Acts, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, happens over and over again. We need this constant infilling of the Holy Spirit. I remember the story I heard long ago about a, a young woodsman who showed up in the forest. There were men working, and he applies for a job. He says, I'd like to, I'd like to be a woodsman along with you. And, and the foreman sees him and says, well, can you swing an axe? And a young man picks it up, swings it, fells a tree like that. Foreman says, great, you're hired. And the first day, the Monday, he, 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 he's felling trees, he's chopping wood, his production is at the top of the list. He goes back on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and on Friday the foreman comes to see him and says, um, you can pick up your paycheck as soon as you're ready, we're going to have to let you go. And the young man is aghast, he says, but why? I show up every day, I'm, I'm early, I work hard. And the foreman says, well, on Monday you were at the top of the production list. But by yesterday you were at the very bottom. And the young man says, I, I don't understand. I, I'm a hard worker. I, I worked hard, as hard on Thursday as I did on Monday. And the foreman says to him, how often do you sharpen your axe? The young man says, well, I never. I never knew I had to. We need the Holy Spirit again and again and again. And we become dull. And we can't, we can't work as productively. We can work as hard, but not as productively. We're not empowered for mission without the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need Him again and again and again. And I'll tell you, He is worth waiting for. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.